0: in times like these being a citizen is a big job thank you for joining us to celebrate the virtues of self-rule and debate the state of our republic welcome to the citizens prerogative podcast this is the voice of your nerdy host michael piscatelli and we are inspired by a co-host whose passion for our republic precedes him everywhere he goes raymond wong jr
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here today, and I'm truly winging it.
0: This is episode number 64. We are still in season three, and the name of this episode, if it makes it to press, will be No Establishment and Free Exercise. Today's episode is going to be all about the First Amendment, specifically our rights to practice any or no religion of our choice. Ah, freedom. (laughs) Freedom from persecution, not freedom to persecute. Funny how that goes. So we're going to jump right in. Um, The the First Amendment holds many liberties. It's a big one. And... um, they are of the utmost importance to self-rule. One of these liberties in particular was captured in the very first 16 words of the amendment. This is the beginning of the amendment. It goes like this. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting
2: the free exercise thereof no official religion, no state religion, no establishment of religion, and no prohibition against religion. It was designed this way because many of the founders
0: had no interest in the tyranny of theocratic regimes. I mean, after all, the King of England, uh, Protestant religion was created by one of the kings because Catholicism was unpopular with them. Um, inconvenient, actually, I should say. Divorce
1: <laughs> so, was not available. So they needed divorce. Like, so what do you do? You set up your own church. But back then you could do it because not, not everyone could write a book. Not everyone knew how to write or read, you know.
0: The Church of England. And if we were to quote Eddie Isard. What would he say? The bastard's religion? Like, I
1: think I'll call it the uh, I think he, the, the, it was Henry VIII who was like, I'll call, I'll call it the, the, sin, the, the fringe bastard religion. Like, what do we call Church of England, sir?
2: <laughs> oh, I I'm sure Tony. I
1: misquoted Eddie. I didn't do him the, the honor that she, they deserve.
0: They deserve. That's okay. That one, that one came out of the wing. We wanged we wing, that one. Um, but I mean, it's interesting. So the King of England creates a new religion. They are what they're like ordained by God in this religion. And so if you think about that, the fact that we're fighting for independence, getting away from those types of, you know, theocratic or authoritative regimes, this is where (laughs) the opening of the very first amendment to the constitution comes into play. It was very important and near and dear to their hearts. So, like I said, they had no interest in the tyranny of theocratic regimes and it was something in fact, that was very present in their lives and in their minds. After all, they were farmers, lawyers, businessmen, and plantation owners. Many founders did not even subscribe to a religious tradition or a church nor did they want to be forced to live under the rules of any one of them. And there were several flavors of religion around the country at that time, just like
2: today.
1: And if you need to understand the power dynamics, I mean, don't, don't forget that like churches had the money, they had the temples, they had you know, the, everyone is obsessed that religion is so important because of the arts and everything they created. But those poor sculptors and those poor or artists, they they needed work. They needed money. So and the church had the money. The church had the power. And you have to understand not to side with the crazy king a bit, but he was right. The churches had control over the entire world, the known world at that, at that time. They were extremely powerful and they were heavily allied to the Spanish. It was a very bad situation in general.
0: Yeah, it was interesting around that time, right, how Catholicism had been embedded in all of the, or many of the uh, powerful European states of the day, and so they were there behind the scenes brokering whether or not there was going to be war, whether or not there was going to be peace, you know, who who was paying the proper tithes to the church or not, and maybe the church needed to call in some troops, huh? And it's barbarism, so you, who they could just kill you. Ah, oh, the Inquisition. Okay, we're a, little, <laughs> we're a little off. In any case, we're just helping to illustrate the reasons why there was a healthy amount of skepticism <laughs> um, in our in the in the fresh fresh in the minds of our founding fathers founders that fathers things got to go to the trash. Um, the founders were very much concerned about the power of the state being thwarted by all of these um, third party, you know, perspectives. So at the end of the day just considering the first 16 words of the first amendment we should read in really that the government is doing its best to mean to have to intend to have and provide an environment with a live and let live policy under our laws like all all citizens of the United States anybody who is uh, subject to the jurisdiction of the laws of the US are you know, gonna have to live under those rules. So we don't want them to be, we don't want them to come from anywhere but Congress, but our representative government, right? We we established that for a reason because we all have to figure out how to get along under this one organization, this one nation, this one set of policies and laws. And no, you know, no one group in particular, this is the point of the checks and balances is for no one group in particular to have,
2: undue authority. So um, over time, things
0: have shifted. I mean, it's been a long time since the Constitution was written, the amendments, the original amendments were passed, and you know the courts have had many years to try and add precision to how to interpret some of these laws. Um, so we end up in a very interesting place in this day and age. And In some of the past episodes, we've talked a little bit about where certain policies, certain things that the government engages in seem like they're not clearly in the spirit of the law, that at some point something had come to bear to force us to make a decision that may have not been in our own best interest for the long term in order to deal with something in the short term. You know, one of the bullets we have here is about how organizations can get tax advantage status as you know a nonprofit um, or venture capital churches. <laughs> I call them venture capital churches because there are some mega money churches out there, and and what do they do? Where are they investing their dollars? Um, well, other than maybe lawmaking and 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 things of that nature to make sure that their assets. And profits continue to go untaxed and unnoticed to one degree or another. Um, What's really strange about this, you know, and this is any religion would be, you know, for one way or another considered a nonprofit, even if they are making a profit, right? And then I say venture capital because some of those churches don't just use the money for their own parishioners, they use the money to expand the church, its power, its influence, its reach not just in our country, but around the globe as well. So, you know, one of the call outs here is that really the government should not respect an establishment of religion by providing a tax-free ride to these entities. I mean, they're, they're still companies, I would say, at the end of the day. Like a nonprofit is a business. It's a company, but it doesn't have shareholder owners. Right. It's like a board of trustees that owns it. And so they don't have to pay a dividend back to shareholders. There's no, it's nonprofit just because it doesn't return a profit to shareholders. But that doesn't mean it can't make money. And that doesn't mean it's not a company. Of course, it's a company under the law. And, you know, churches kind of fit that same dynamic. I mean, just as a nonprofit and, and do you know do nonprofits, do churches use infrastructure? I, I suspect they do. Do they, do they weigh on our legal system? I think they do. Do they weigh in on our lawmaking? I think they do. You know, okay. so their presence in our society and in the system, and I don't understand why they aren't going to be able to pay their fair share as one aspect, right?
1: it's you're absolutely right it's a, and i think just to add to your list there um do they suffer from ethical challenges and do they suffer from um scandal
0: mhm and that puts pressure on the legal system and there's costs to all of that and normally it's paid through taxes but the flip side of that okay so i'll even give that up i'll say you know what you want to make them all nonprofits and they don't pay taxes i'm willing to concede That to a certain degree. However, there's another embedded inherent risk or issue with selecting certain entities not having to pay taxes. Like the government now is in the business, the IRS is in the business of deeming what is a religion or not, right? By the fact that as a group of people, you have to apply to the IRS under certain rules and demonstrate certain things in order to become classified as a religion and earn your tax-free status. And whatever other protections, I guess, theoretically come along with it, like, the, uh, like some people are arguing the right to discriminate, <laughs> which is clearly illegal. Why is the IRS in that mode? I mean, whenever they're looking at an application for a group of people who are applying to be recognized as a religion, to me,
2: is the act of establishing religion, right? Like somebody's filing paperwork, and you're saying yes or no, you're a legitimate religion.
0: To me, this is clearly the government in the practice of establishing official religions, which is a violation of the First Amendment of the Constitution.
1: If we're going to acknowledge. Corporations as individuals, which which the law clearly has, I think it's it's very clear guidance, right? They get the same level of treatment. I pay my taxes just like these individual corporations or entities pay pay their taxes. It just it seems strange to me that the structure and it's possibly abused across the board because you see organizations like um, the the NFL, which are nonprofits. I was shocked to find out that a huge portion of their work core is all volunteers. And that seems like I'm like what's the balance between, you know, really pushing the line of, oh yes, we're a nonprofit or you're making massive profits. And yet you're you're still saying, "Oh, but we're a nonprofit and we have all these volunteers to really cut down the bottom line." I don't understand.
2: Oh yeah,
0: that one's a big nasty web of mess, right? Because I mean, you've got the, the owners are buying these teams as if they're investments. H- how is this an investment if it's not for profit? <laughs> Those two things are not congruent. They do, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. You can't square that circle. Mm. And you know, I, it it may sound like I'm harping on this, but these they're like you said, Ray. Improprieties is everywhere, and wherever this money gets pooled, siphoned out of the system, siphoned out of parishioners' pockets. So that they can enrich these heads of these groups, whether they're religions or nonprofits, is questionable. It doesn't make sense. Why, you know, why does that individual get to be rich and never pay an ounce of taxes? That's not fair, um, and it's it's foundationally not. You know, not not. <laughs> I don't think it's supported in our system, although we see it right like. There's been bastardization, I would say, across the board in all kinds of places. And we see it in inequality um, in like how people who make their money off of investments don't have to pay the same tax rates as the rest of the people who actually work for their hours
2: in life. It's totally wrong. But that's a moral debate for another day. So we have
0: the government, we have the IRS in the business of establishing religions <laughs> um, on behalf of the government, recognizing what's a legitimate religion and what's not, which seems very questionable. Um, so on the flip side, we're we're talking about the establishment piece of this, or what we say the establishment clause in the First Amendment. The other side of it was prohibiting the free, free exercise of religion, right? Um, I, I would say the the pivot point just to move on from the IRS declaring official religions. Prohibiting the free exercise of religion is the IRS denying a religion its application to be tax-free because now it's forced to pay income tax as a burden (laughs) or something. You're preventing the free exercise of religion because you're putting an undue burden on this group of people because you don't recognize their religion as official versus another religion that now gets a free ride, right? So I just... I don't want to use the word slippery slope, but you can see where, you know, as soon as you step in that, that mud, you're going to be muddy. There's no, there's no way to get clean without actually fully, you know, exiting the mud pond there. But let's also talk a little bit about what prohibiting the free exercise of religion looks like besides the IRS declining declining your application to to be a, a non-tax paying group of people you know it could look like police raids on churches and and parish leaders now generally, if that were to happen under the law today, you would expect there to be some kind of controversy. There's something going on there that's against the law, whether it's molestation, murder, or something else, right? We have some pretty hard, fast laws in this country, and it doesn't matter whether you're a part of a religion or not. um, If you break those laws, we don't consider that a free exercise of religion. We, We do establish some lines, just like free speech, right? We always talk about the fact that you can't yell fire in a crowded room or a theater because you're going to cause a panic and there's, unless there is a fire, right? If you're causing a panic, then that free speech isn't protected. If you're using that free speech for some, some terrible reason, um, and it's actually going to inflict harm, we, we have that logic. But if a police were to raid a church or a parish simply because, because it's the wrong belief system, <laughs> You know, maybe there's no no in particular evidence. I mean, maybe you didn't get your application passed and you chose not to pay taxes. And now the IRS is sending somebody in to come collect on that. But um, absent of, you know, uh, individuals breaking laws under a church, we don't expect to see police raids on churches, right? So that's what it would look like in, in maybe another country or another place in time some state power would be coming to bear to dismantle a church. Um, That would also like, could take its, like what used to happen quite often to gay people and gay bars, right? When the police would come in and they would gin up all kinds of charges against them, put them in the newspapers, you know, there's the possibility that that could have been applied to maybe certain religious groups in, in certain communities. Um, I almost said, heaven forbid, somebody of a denomination that's just not supported because we're supposedly a Christian country, and somebody moves in with a religion that is offensive, apparently, to that local community. Well, the sheriffs, you know, may choose to come up with some bogus charges and put followers behind bars, right? Or or cause people to even die while in police custody or something like that. So just throwing those out as possibilities. There's no, I, I don't have any news articles or evidence to this. I'm, I'm just trying to illustrate some of what prohibiting free exercise of religion could look like. Now, I imagine if we went, went back in the history books, I'm sure there's some examples of, you know, the state or other groups kind of conducting these types of activities against certain religious groups or communities.
1: Well, we've already mentioned it in, in the sense of the Church of England, right? Because there was an active campaign once Elizabeth took over, you know, post the originator of the the church. Um, it, I mean, it was basically a state-run entity, and they would, they would have to deal with people that wanted the traditional church to still exist in England. So you had people praying underground, and you did have state raids. So I, I would say that you know, we were operating when it was, when we were founded, there was probably some fear of the state coming in and doing just that as well. All right. So it seems like a, a dual protectionary amendment, you know, don't enable them, but also don't disable them, which which was very active in, in that.
0: Yeah. And we can throw out inter- intimidation there too. So, you know, justice departments putting out warnings um, once again, like for our Jewish comrades, um, and, you know, even black churches, right? So synagogues and black churches, unfortunately, have a history in the United States of receiving violent attacks from other citizens. So that's not an example where the state's coming in to take action, but individuals are taking action on their own uh, because of this, you know, warped idea of, well, there's an official religion in the United States when there is none. I mean, we touched on some of that in our allyship episode, so I'm not going to harp on that. So let's call out that the First Amendment does not give rights to businesses to discriminate against customers because of religious beliefs. Selling a product to a customer has nothing to do with exercising religion. Let's be clear. Money is green for everybody. And even if you're not using money, if you're using some electronic version of it, those dollars, those USD numbers, are equivalent for everyone. And if you are in business and you are selling a product, discrimination is not allowed. I mean, this goes back to this goes back to Jim Crow South and and all kinds of things, right? Where you had whites-only uh, lunch counters and and things of that nature. It was just It's segregation and it's it's not appropriate. It's not acceptable and it's not legal in the United States. And by putting a gay flag on a cake when you're a Christian is, I have to say, not an affront to the religion. You are not in the act of promoting anything. You are delivering a service or a product for money. You're a for-profit business or you're in business to make money. And you have to sell that product to everyone. It has to be available to anyone who wants to purchase it. And you don't have to agree with it. You know, if it's not illegal, then you should be able to fulfill on that. And so we're getting into this place now where people are choosing to treat other people based on their own religious beliefs rather than the law. And that is very problematic. Because your rights as a business owner um, doesn't bring your religion into consideration. And if you feel like your business, your choice of operating a business is going to put you in conflict with your religious beliefs, then don't be a prostitute. Do something else. Go start a different business that doesn't force you, air quotes, to compromise your religious fortitude, okay? It's not your right to pick and choose who your customers are gonna be from that perspective if it's a public business.
1: Well, I would say, or at least advertise appropriately, make sure you put on your windows that please know, know people that have alternative lifestyles. We only want a certain type of clientele. Just be, just be clear, you know, the ref- right to refuse service just make a longer sign. So then we, everyone knows who walks by.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I suppose there's an argument to be made. No, no shoes, no shirt, no service. And as long as that policy is implemented and executed consistently and fairly, then yeah, you probably, you probably have
2: grounds there to protect your business from nipples or toes. Last bullet on here before we, Switch out to a break. There can be no religious test to run for elected office. That's, it's fundamental. Our laws do not respect any establishments of religion.
0: There can be no religious test to run for office. You don't have to believe in any religion to run for office. Culturally, we've had a struggle with this. And this is where a lot of like, even the IRS and in God, we trust the IRS recognizing religions and in God, we trust being on our, (laughs) our currencies and various things that all came out of the 1950s and trying to differentiate our way of life from communism. It was a huge mistake and it was made in a very short-sighted way um, because people are anchoring on that. We've lost track of history and people are anchoring on that. Like We're some kind of we have a state religion and and we really don't. And there is no religious test to run for office whatsoever. So, you know, anybody can run with any religion or no religion at all. And culturally, you know, over the years, I think people are starting to adjust to that and respect that expectation. Although there's still many, many communities where people feel they have to adopt a certain religion in order to be active in politics or win an election. On that note, let's go ahead and take a break. Time for a message from our sponsor, Citizen Do Good. As misinformation swirls in the cloud and we hear the jeers of hate and drumbeats of lies grow louder in the distance, we must fully recognize and commit ourselves to the fact that self-rule requires unrelenting vigilance, an unwavering persistence that puts principle and reason above greed and hate we place our faith in self-rule as the means to fulfill the promise of freedom and justice for us all. The time is now to deeply re-examine ourselves and our implementation of governance for the dawning of a new day. We are a proud sponsor of the Citizen's Prerogative Podcast, a major partner in spreading the good word about civic love and the power of change for us all. At Citizen Do Good, we want to empower all citizens to participate in our republic in a reconstructive way. With that goal in mind, we need your help to stay on mission and grow this community. Pick up some goodies from our shop at citizandogood.com, like a quippy t-shirt, a mug, or bomber jacket. You can also add some goodwill to your cart with a one-time contribution. As little as twenty dollars goes a long way. You could go all the way with recurring contributions through Patreon and receive patron benefits. Feel free to share any suggestions you have directly through the contact us page. Thanks for your support.
1: You know, I'm going to I go back to, you said the founders and you mentioned the founding fathers and, you know, changing that verbiage a bit, but maybe changing it even further. I don't even know if it's the founders. I wonder if in time we all are the founders, you know, the work that was left undone by those philosophers, if you will, they were just philosophers. They didn't have the answers. They've left it for us for the past 200 plus years. Uh, to sort out this great experiment, a lot of questions unanswered, a lot of work undone, such as slavery. I mean, that is a huge threat on all all fronts, you know, even getting the policy sorted out. So when you think about the hard work that's still going on today, maybe this is the point where we're the ones that are left with the um figuring out exactly what the details were because uh, some of them died untimely, right? uh, Washington became sick and he died before he was finished with more effort. They still wanted to do a little bit more fine tuning, um, but just never happened.
2: That's an awesome call out. It's,
0: it continues to be every generation's responsibility to build a more perfect union. And I like that every generation is another generation of founders moving, moving it forward, we hope. So moving into some of our calls to action, you know, one of the best ways to break down divides is to ask questions and find some common ground with those in our communities that are different from us. You know, get to know your Muslim neighbor or your Jewish neighbor, or your Sikh neighbor, or your Hmong neighbor, or your Catholic neighbor, your Christian neighbor, your some other flavor of Christianity. I forget all the denominations that we have in America. It's quite prolific. Um, I think it's actually quite fascinating that all, <laughs> pretty much all the varieties of Christianity exist in the U.S. We've really proliferated religion here because free exercise is in the First Amendment of the Constitution. So every flavor of religion you can imagine is available somewhere in a neighborhood near you. Get to know your neighbors, especially those who have no religion. I think um, some of the younger generations coming up now are maybe slipping into majority nuns, we call it, not N-U-N, but (laughs) N-O-N-E. They are not identifying with any officially established religion But I suspect that they're aware of them. They grew up with them. They may have studied them as I did in school. And for me, for my journey, it was through studying all the religions, or as many of them as I could in a given course, set of coursework, that it opened my mind to the fact that they're all just philosophies. They're all just past humans trying to get future humans to behave or do things in the most constructive way, manner as possible and in the parables they've given us warnings and they've given us lessons and they've given us inspiration right in in these characters in these stories in these books and as you know basically an anthropologist i would say is my natural state of thinking these are all great forms of literature but when a group of
2: humans takes this book and turns it into a power structure we run into problems. As a digression, but get to know your neighbors, get to know other religions, because the
0: more you understand the fact that we're all just humans, we all live at the intersectionality of humanity. And many of these books are things that just came to us in our upbringing in the hopes of guiding our lives in the best way possible. In most cases, not in all, we should be able to find that common ground in and among one another, even if the books we read are different. So, whatever you believe, seek out someone who believes differently and see if you can appreciate what you have in common as humans, because there are things there. I guarantee you, we all suffer the same conditions in this life. Although some people have more or less ability to alleviate some of the conditions that some of us face, no human's able to get out of their own minds. And sometimes
2: our own minds are the scariest places to live. Lastly, for calls to action, seek out
0: and vote for representatives that fight to preserve our First Amendment rights. It's the right to exercise your religion, it's your right to be free from any state sponsored religion. And if you choose no religion, to have the freedom to embark on that journey as well in life, because liberty belongs to each of us. And live and let live is the best way to move forward, but we still have to respect that and
2: promote that for one another.
1: I think in the end, freedom is the benign influence of the government. We shouldn't feel it. We shouldn't see it. It should just be something that exists. And with these signatures and tax law and decisions being made, in the bureaucracy, it doesn't appear right, doesn't appear benign. And I think it's an infringement on freedom for everyone involved.
2: I'm impressed we made it through this whole episode without talking about abortion.
0: <laughs> talking about oppression. Uh, depending on what state you live in, you have more or less freedoms. we where- back at it again that's no good but this is what happens when some of these issues come home to roost because they haven't actually been dealt with properly hmm. well, that's gonna do us let's call it a wrap we have been your hosts thank you mr raymond wong jr
1: and thank you mr piscatelli i think we can truly abort the tax code with this one
0: I have to agree. This has been something, that's for sure. For information on this and other episodes, head over to citizendogood.com and click on podcast. While you're there, hit up the contact us page and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from the community. Special thanks to you, our listeners. We save the best for last. You are the best and you have been for years. Thank you for your support. We know it's painful and we love you. Intro music sample from OK Class by Ozzy Jock under Creative Commons license through freemusicarchive.org. Other music provided royalty free through Fizzling Studios, Inc.